You know, for the last 10 weeks, 10 weeks, uh, I've been sharing with you what the Bible tells us is going to happen after this life. I'm happy to tell you that I only have two more left. Amen? This one and next week's, and we're going to finish up. But, you know, it's one thing to talk about the afterlife of an adult. An adult that has lived a long and fruitful life. But what about the little children? What about the infants? What about the babies who have died before they were born? What about them? Undoubtedly, one of the most heartbreaking events that anybody can go through is the death of a child. I cannot begin to imagine. And when this happens, I believe that everybody is faced with the same question, and that is, what about the children? What about the children who die before they're old enough to decide for themselves about faith in Jesus Christ? What about them? After all, Acts 4.12, Peter says clearly about Jesus saying, there is salvation in no other. That there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So what about the children? Does God treat children and infants and babies who die before they're born the same way He treats Men and women and teenagers who have had ample opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior? Friends, this message today is for those who have lost a baby. But this message is also for those who will be called upon by God to minister to someone who has lost a baby. I mean, if somebody asks you, is my baby in heaven? How are you going to respond? Our go-to is to say, well, of course, your baby is in heaven. But is that what the Bible teaches? Or are you just trying to ease their pain? Let me offer you a little bit of advice before I go further. If you're ever confronted with this divine opportunity, I believe, to help someone who is grieving the loss of a child. And here it comes. Y'all ready? Say amen. Choose your words very carefully. If you're going to help someone grieving the loss of a child, choose your words very carefully. Ask yourself, is what I'm getting ready to say going to help that person who is suffering or make them suffer more? You see, some Christians attempt to offer comforting words like, oh, God has a plan. They say, oh, it must have been God's will. Well, duh, of course it was God's will, but that does not make it fun, and that doesn't make it any less painful. Think about Jesus' death. 
Jesus' death was horrific. It was terrifying. It was unimaginably painful. And, but it was not okay. Nothing can take the pain away from what happened on the cross that day. Not even the will of God. I mean, just because things might be true doesn't mean they need to be said sometimes. The death of a child is nothing short of horrific and there's nothing that can change that. Even comforting words can't change that. Any comfort or encouragement that you might give to a grieving mother or a grieving father is a separate miracle apart from the death of that child. It does not lessen the pain in any shape, form, or fashion. Parents will never look back on the death of their child and say, it was good. There may be a separate miracle a separate miracle may have taken place and those blessings from that separate miracle may be good. But the death of their child was not good. They will grieve and they will go through pain and they do not need to pretend like it didn't hurt. It was real. I think the only alternative for a grieving mother or father is really just to trust God. Trust God and ask Him to help you endure the pain. Now, there is no specific Bible passage that speaks directly to this sensitive issue. However, there are a number of passages that can help us to understand God's heart on this subject. This morning, I want to share with you three resounding principles. Three principles that I believe might help us answer. Is my baby in heaven? The first of which is this. I want you to hear the concern of the father. You see, it is no accident that God is referred to as our father in heaven. And I believe that the Bible in many places reveals our Father's heart for us. Let's take a look at three expressions of our Father's heart. The first of which is this. Our Father God designs every... Somebody say every. Our Father God designs every human life. Any discussion of our understanding about what happens to the children must begin with the fact that life begins at the moment of conception. Somebody say amen. amen. Life begins at the moment of conception. Every single life that is conceived is a person. Every one of them. The Bible is very clear on this, per, this point. And any death that occurs after conception is the death of a person. A person. And all persons 
have eternal souls. They are not anonymous masses of tissue. They are not simply fetuses in their mother's womb. No, they are baby people. From the moment of conception. And our Father God knows that. And in His Word, He tells us that He knew us even before we were born. He declared to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. That is, I set you apart for a very specific purpose. In Psalm 139, David tells us in the New Living Translation that the Father designs the unborn. He said, you, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am faithfully and wonderfully made. Your workmanship is marvelous, and that I know too well. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion and woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was ever born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. Our Father God designs Every human life. But our Father God also values every, somebody say every, every human life. You see, every baby is marvelously fashioned into the image of our Creator. Just because some babies never enjoy life outside of the womb does not erase the fact that their life is sacred. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. God created them. You see, God sets every human life on a level that is above all other kinds of life. According to the Bible, only human beings bear His image. And yet each life that He creates is unique each life he creates is distinctive. And I want you to know this morning that each life he creates in the womb is valuable in the sight of God. Every tiny human life, every one of those lives is a living soul. And each one of those little souls has the capacity to spend eternity with God. But not only does our loving Heavenly Father design every human life and value every human life. I want you to know today that our Father God distinguishes 
between adults and children. When the nation of Israel willfully sinned against God and they absolutely refused to enter the promised land that he told them to go into, they were cursed to wander the wilderness for 40 long years. But God did not hold the children accountable for their uh, disobedience. God did not hold the children responsible. God did not punish the children for the sins of their parents. For indeed, we know that the children, the next generation, they entered into the promised land. The promised land of God. Now we know that the sins of our parents affect our lives. They have an impact on our lives, but we are not punished for the sins of our parents. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, God said, Moreover, your little ones, your children, whom you say are victims, whom you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in to there. They shall go into that promised land. To them I will give it, and they shall possess that which I wanted to give to you. So friend, any discussion of this question, is my child in heaven, ultimately comes down to the issue of what's called the age of accountability. How many of y'all have heard that statement before? The age of accountability. Many of us have. That phrase basically refers to the age where a child becomes responsible for their own relationship with God. And that statement, that phrase has been around forever, but listen to me, it is not in the Bible. That phrase, age of accountability, does not appear in the scriptures. I have to make this clear. There is no one age whereby every child is, comes responsible, suddenly accountable for knowing the difference between good and evil or the fact that they're a sinner. There's no one age where it says that. Only God really knows the time when a child becomes accountable. So I think as believers... We better be on our game all the time, right? Because I know of some that don't know the difference between good and evil until they're teens. But I know another fella who became aware of his sin, sinful nature when he was four years old. And he came to Christ. He said, oh, that's too young. Well, I know him to be a pastor this, to this day. He's continued to preach the gospel. Only God really knows when a child becomes accountable. Then you might ask, well, well, what happens then, Bill, to a child who's not old enough to know between good and evil? What happens to a child who doesn't understand the fact of our sinfulness? What happens to the child whose mind is impaired in some way so that they cannot grasp their need to be saved from sin? Well, I think that John MacArthur poses a great question that might open your eyes to that. Pastor John says, 
How can we believe that God weeps over lost souls? How can we believe that God pleads with willful sinners to be reconciled to Him if He sends millions upon millions of innocent children to hell before they can reach the state of mental responsibility or distinguish between good and evil? Simply said, God doesn't. He does not do that. You say, okay, Bill, well, how then is he, is he saved? How's that child saved? That child is saved the same way you're saved. By the grace of God. Only in this case, friend, it's the grace of God that is extended to a child who is not yet ready or able to express their faith in Christ. So in asking this question, is my child in heaven we must look at the character. We must look at the concern of our loving Heavenly Father. But we must also see the compassion of the Son of God, Jesus. One of the things that always puts a smile on my face is while Jesus was on this earth, Jesus always hung out with the children. He always hung out with the kids. And in Mark chapter 10... In verse 13, there were some people who brought children to Jesus so that he might touch them. And the disciples, the ultra-religious that surrounded Jesus, they rebuked those who brought the children to Jesus. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, the kids, and he laid his hands upon them and he blessed them. And can I tell you that he blessed them real good? He loved the children. And according to verse 14, when Jesus took those little kids up in his arms, he, he said, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them. For of such, for of such, like this, is the kingdom of God. I want to tell you something that I believe with all my heart that's based completely on Scripture and the Spirit's leading. Infants who have died are in heaven today. When it comes to children, when it comes to the place of a child in heaven, I think that Matthew 18, 14 kind of sums it up and sums up the, what, what Jesus was feeling. He said, even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that even one, not that even one of these little ones should perish. Our Father God is very concerned about our babies. He's very concerned about our children. And the Son of God, Jesus, truly is passionate about our babies. But I also want you to see 
the confidence of a man named David. Now, many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba. David is the king of Israel, the king of God's people, and David has an affair with a married woman by the name of Bathsheba. And in an attempt to hide that adulterous affair, King David, the king of God's people, puts Bathsheba's husband on the front lines of the battlefield where he's killed. So in essence, David is directly responsible for killing Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Afterwards, David took Bathsheba to be his own wife. And shortly thereafter, a prophet of God named Nathan comes to the king. And he tells him, y'all getting ready to have a baby. But after that baby's born, God said that baby was going to die. Indeed, the baby is born. And shortly thereafter, the baby gets very ill. And David begins to fast. He begins to cry. And the whole palace resonated with his crying. And his servants were afraid. They were afraid to tell David that their son indeed had died. They didn't know what David might do. But after learning that his infant son had died, the servants were astonished at David's reaction. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David arose from the ground and he washed his face and he anointed himself and changed his clothes and listened to what he did. He went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. And then he went to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this that you're doing? You fasted and you wept over the child while he was alive. But now that the child has died, you arise and eat food? And David said, well, while the child was alive, I fasted and I wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord would be gracious to me, to me, not to the child, to me, that my child may live. But now, my son is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And listen to what David said. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I shall go to him, but my son shall not return to me. You see, David knew that when David died, when he died, that he would be reunited with his infant son. But I want you to listen how David reacts when his second son dies. His second son's name was Absalom. And when Absalom was killed, David acted completely different. 
we learned that when the infant son had died, David stopped mourning. He stopped his mourning. But when his adult son Absalom was killed, we find that he started mourning. He started mourning. Why? He didn't get just upset, y'all. David didn't just get grief stricken. He was absolutely inconsolable. He could not stop crying and weeping and mourning and grieving when his son Absalom was killed. So what was the difference? David despaired for Absalom because he believed that he'd never see him again. He despaired for Absalom because he never thought that he would ever see his wicked and rebellious son ever again. He knew that his infant son was in heaven and that he would see him. But he knew Absalom had died in his sin and died with an unrepentant heart and he'd never see him ever again. There's a commentator named J. Vernon McGee. Some of you know him or have heard of him. And here's what he says concerning children in heaven. He says, I believe with all my heart that God will raise the little ones. God will raise the babies so that mother's arms who have ached to hold them will get that opportunity. I believe with all my heart that the father's hand who so desired to hold that baby's hand Yes, we'll be given that blessing. But I'm a questioner. (laughs) And I ask myself, why then? Why wouldn't God just tell me plainly that all children who die in infancy go to heaven? Well, I think that Randy Alcorn might be on to something. He says, if children do go to heaven, then... Why doesn't God tell us that directly? And his answer is paralyzing. Randy says, it may be that God knows if we think that all our kids are going to heaven, we will get lazy. It may be That God knows if we think, okay, all of our kids are going to heaven, that we might ignore the urgency of reaching children in our families, in our churches, and indeed all over the world. We might say stuff like, well, my child's too little to understand all that. My child's not ready To understand that he's a sinner. I mean if we knew outright. Just maybe we'd be a lot less concerned about our God given task. As adult Christians. To make sure that the gospel gets to our kids. No matter how old they are. Not only in our families but in our churches. And all over the world. 
My friend, have you ever grieved the loss of a child? I know many in our church family have. If you have, there is more than sufficient reason for you to take heart this morning. Your child is in heaven today. And your child is awaiting your arrival. The more difficult question is, will you be in heaven with your baby? Your child may have been too young to make a decision for Jesus. But you're not. You see, parents who have a child waiting for them in heaven, they don't go automatically like the child does. So if you desire to see your child again, if you desire to enjoy that heavenly reunion with your baby, the Bible's clear that you must be born again. You must be born again. And you say, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, Bill. Well, it didn't to some religious folks in Jesus' day either. In John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to this religious leader. And his name was Nicodemus. And he said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Period. And on further down, he told Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then verse 18, he said, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So in that little passage, we learn that we must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And we learn how to get that way. That is to believe on the only name by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus. So friend, I don't know if you have a child waiting for you in heaven. But if you do, you do whatever you must to make sure that you're going to be there to meet your baby. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the, the blessing, Lord, the, the, the God-given blessing of raising children. And Father, we live in a sin-filled world with sin-filled bodies and sin-filled friends and sin-filled families. Lord, this sin nature is prevalent in everything we know and everything we do. But Lord, this was not your design. This was not your perfect will that anyone should die. But sin brought that into the world. Our sin, the sin of mankind. And so Lord, I pray this morning that if there's one in our midst or one listening in that has lost a child, 
before that child could make a decision for him or herself for Jesus. Lord, I pray that they're comforted today knowing that their child is with you. But Lord, I also pray that they know that they too must be ready. They too must be born again in order to enjoy the kingdom of God. And all that that requires is believing on the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. Believing that Jesus accomplished on the cross that which we could not uh, accomplish for ourselves, and that is forgiveness of sin. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, you would speak this morning to each one of us, and that, Lord, we would not leave this place without that incredible 100% assurance that we are born again. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much. Lord, use us mightily to minister to those who might lose babies in the future. Help us to choose our words carefully and to be an instrument in your holy hand. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Mm-hmm.